Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm David Golay, the bike editor at Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Okay, so this week on the show, I am once again joined by SRAM's Chris Mandel, who's here to talk about the new Eagle Axis transmission that SRAM just launched a couple of days ago, which has been, well, some of the biggest tech-related news in the bike world in a while now. And so... Chris and I run down the thinking behind the new system, including the fact that the derailleur bolts up directly to a UDH derailleur hanger compatible frame and why SRAM went down that road, why they're calling it a transmission, not a drivetrain, and get into it about all of the details of the design and thinking behind the new system. And so there's a lot in here. And it'd probably be worth following along with our first look and my flash review on the new transmission as well. There's a link to that in the show notes, so check that out. And let's get ready to chat to Chris and learn some stuff. Well, Chris, great to sit down and chat and got a fair bit to cover here since uh, the new transmission's got a whole lot going on with it. So how are you doing? Yeah, thanks. Uh, I'm doing really well. Um, there is a lot going on. Um, it's it's pretty amazing what um, what the engineers have, have cooked up in terms of range and and different like user benefits. But yeah, I'm doing pretty well, and I'm pretty excited that it. Uh, there's a lot of snow on the hills still, but it does feel like spring today. So um, I can taste the riding coming. Yeah, getting closer here. So. As far as the transmission stuff goes, we should maybe start with the fact that we are calling it a transmission. Tell us what's going on with terminology and why you have made that departure. Yeah, I, I actually think that's like a really great place to start. Um, you know, I, I think we're all very used to drive trains on bikes and, you know, drive train, I would say, is sort of like a bunch of different parts bolted on um to a bike that uh that, that gets you up the hill um and allow you to move forward we are calling this transmission and we are differentiating that from the drivetrain systems that we've made in the past um because this system is different in that it's built around a constant that or it is it is it's built around your wheel it's built around the center of your wheel which is consistent across all of the bikes um and by doing that by allowing the cassette and the derailleur to directly interface with each other we eliminate a lot of unnecessary parts and we eliminated a lot of things like adjustment screws and high and low tension and all these other things that are there to compensate for the tolerance stacking that occurs in a drivetrain. Um, and we really just get rid of those things by bolting everything to itself. And we think that's um, a pretty different approach. And we think that necessitates calling it a different thing, um, which we can know with transmission because it's much more like, um, you know, the transmission that you would see in something like a car where it is like a fully integrated and interdependent system. Yeah, and I mean, I think there might be some people kind of looking at it and going like, well, it's still a derailleur and a cassette, and the constituent parts are familiar, but 
like you said, the whole thing is integrated together to a higher degree than what we're used to on bikes. And so the probably the place to start with talking about all that is the derailleur. So tell us what you've changed and kind of where all that integration starts. Yeah, totally. I mean, what didn't we change? <laughs> you know, I, I do think, you know, we should work our way over to the derailleur. You know, in 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 previous systems, like you had the cassette, which, you know, we've had the XD driver system for a long time. The cassette was mounted to the XD driver, and then the XD driver interfaced with the frame, and then the frame interfaced with derailleur hanger, and then the derailleur hanger interfaced with a rear derailleur, and everything kind of like, you know, had a tolerance stack up in between each one of those interfaces and, and things were from here to there. Um, but with, with this system, you know, we've, we've taken the UDH hanger, which is uh, a standard that we worked with a lot of OEMs on. And there are um, hundreds of bike models out there that use the UDH standard. Um, and so we've taken that derailleur hanger standard, which was very well adapted by the industry or taken up by the industry. And and you remove that derailleur hanger from your bike, and then this derailleur goes in its place. And what that allows us to do is have your cassette, which is mounted to your XD driver, directly interface with the derailleur. And then the rear axle of your bike actually mounts into the derailleur as well. And in that way, the entire derailleur rear hub cassette become one mechanical unit. That does a couple things for us. You know, everyone's really worried about derailleur hanger being a replaceable part um that was kind of a crutch before but with by integrating all those components together we um allow them to be one mechanical unit that can take really really high amounts of um force which i think you saw when i stood on the bike and then was able to get right onto it and pedal off um without um nary a misshift there um so that, which is, which is pretty cool, but, um, all those things kind of work together. So the derailleur and the rear hub, the rear axle and the cassette and the whole system, um, sort of interrelates in that getting specifically to answer your question, as far as what we've changed on the derailleur, um, at like a really high level, what we've done with the rear derailleur is make it a really robust component that also has a lot of replaceable parts. Um, and that as, as a company who has a lot of riders in it, who've experienced the problems of smashed rear derailleurs, bent derailleur hangers, derailleurs going into wheels, all the kind of bad things that can happen. We really wanted to try to make something that was as robust as possible. And then also repairable in a way that allowed the rider to replace something if there was a broken part, but also even just simply make it look good at the, you know, after a couple of years of use. Um, so your bike can look good or can look good when you resell it. Um, so to that end, um, the cages on these derailleurs are replaceable. Um, and that's a tool free experience. So if you have the derailleur off the bike, you can actually just with your hands, remove the cage and clutch system from the derailleur. And, you know, we have three tiers of product we can talk about later, but those cages are compatible across those three. So you could, you could take the most expensive version and put it on the 
most cost-effective version or vice versa. Um, and then um, the skid plate, um, which is the outer, what, which is a, a, a bolt-on part that's on the outermost portion of the derailleur, is also replaceable. Um, it's mostly intended to be the first thing that hits the ground. Um, so it is like cosmetic in that we have like designed it to be the first thing that would hit an obstacle. Um, but again, you can just replace it. And then the outer cage of the parallelogram, which includes the bushings that those pins run on, um, is also replaceable. And then last point I'd make on that, I, you know, I kind of noted that the cage is replaceable without a tool. The skid plate and the outer parallelogram require Allen keys to remove, but it's not like a science fair project. It's, it's literally just loosening um, a total to remove all those parts, total of three Allen bolts. Yeah, I've taken one apart now and it's quite straightforward and the cage bit i found particularly slick like you people who have pulled a cage off a derailleur before you're probably used to having spring flying all over the place and this whole mess and there's none of that it's just it twists off there are no other but you have the cage assembly and the rest of the derailleur and there are no other parts that come out or anything else going on it's pretty slick yeah, I I mean, you know, it, it, you can't see this on a podcast, but when you see it in person, um, it kind of melts your mind. The first time I saw it done, it melted my mind, and I've done it in front of quite a few people now, and the, the jaws are real slack. Yeah, that bit's cool, and we'll have some photos of that in the right up on the site that'll be live by the time this podcast airs, so check that link in the show notes. We'll have some, some photos to better illustrate it, but uh, it's pretty cool. And then, you know, another really important kind of component of this, so we, you know, like talked about repairability and talked about how robust the system is, but, you know, part of the way we make this thing really robust is the the derailleur has a full mount. So it it's mounted on both sides of the frame. So it, it sandwiches the, the rear triangle of the frame. And then that sort of aluminum housing that, that goes over the rear triangle of frame extends down below and that's where we house the motor and all the electronic components for the derailleur so they're like inside of a big burly aluminum housing um which that housing is what you see people standing on in a lot of photos and videos around this um um but that that housing also is what's protecting um every all the electronics and the motors in there and and but it's what allows you to like take a pretty significant hit to the derailleur and be able to continue riding. And then of course, just like our previous axis derailleurs on the mountain bike side of things, this derailleur features an overload clutch. And then similar to what we had with the UDH hanger where the, the derailleur hanger had the ability to rotate backwards when the derailleur was struck directly in front, um, all of the transmission derailleurs have the ability to rotate directly backwards if they're struck um, straight ahead and you simply reach down and push it back forward again just like you did with the udh hangers and you're you're able to continue riding your bike down the hill um and i personally have uh jumped into a rut and had the derailleur move back rode to the bottom of the hill with the derailleur in a like rearward position stopped at the bottom pushed the derailleur forward and pedaled right back up to the top of the hill um, which was a pretty, pretty cool, pretty validating experience, especially considering I didn't have to call my wife and say, Hey, 
I just ripped my derailleur off. Can you come get me? I've been spending some time on it. I haven't hit a derailleur too hard yet, but uh, did do the party trick that you had me do on our first little test ride where I just laid the bike over, stood on the derailleur like you were describing on the housing, and then just got on and started pedaling up something pretty steep, and it didn't move. It just was hadn't gone anywhere. It was pr- pretty solid. So um, we'll be spending a lot more time on the whole system, and I'm sure that'll involve a derailleur strike at some point, though I haven't quite got there yet, and uh be interesting to see how it all goes. Yes. Yeah, I'm looking forward to to uh to hearing about that. Um and then there's a couple other like pretty neat new things that we've done it. You know, we have we have um this on on the two um higher spec versions of the kit that we have, the two XX and XXSL rear derailers. We have something called Magic Pulley, which is a pretty neat little system where the inner portion and outer portion of the lower jockey wheel can move independently. So if a stick was to get into the jockey wheel um, and you were pedaling, it won't damage the system. It still allows it allows the, the pulley to continue turning. Um, and then the other thing, and if you kind of look at the some of the pictures of the derailleur, you can you can visualize this, but the the lower portion of the cage extends pretty far forward of the pulley wheel. And then the pulley wheel teeth are actually designed be- between that cage design and then the design of the pulley wheel teeth. The pulley wheel is designed not to eat any sticks. So if you were to have a stick or some piece of debris land on your chain while you were pedaling, normally that would get sucked into your into your lower jockey wheel. But because of the way we've designed this, the the derailleur is always spitting that kind of stuff out, um, which again is just like a bunch of little subtle geometry to the tooth profile and to the to lower pulley wheel profile but it it um it really helps just like keep rides going when they would have otherwise been ended yeah so like you kind of said a lot going on as far as details big and small to work on durability and that kind of stuff but uh to circle back to some kind of the higher level stuff i mean you alluded to this already but launching with three tiers all of which are axis electronic versions and talked about two of those with the xxsl and xx versions what's the third and kind of what's the whole rundown on those different versions for the derailleur yeah totally so so yeah three three um three levels of spec um so we have xo and which is the entry uh, or the the beginning price point for these groups, um, and then we have XX, which is the premier sort of mostly what you're going to see out there in the world um, version of the group, and then we have XXSL, which is the lightest weight um, version of the groups. Um, XSS, XXSL is the only version that's not compatible with e-bikes, full power or or light powered bikes. Um, and it's really sort of targeted at that, like cross country racing and lighter trail bike, really just for people who are trying to get the lightest possible bike. Um, so with that XXSL, um, what you're getting is, um, hollow core, um, carbon crank arms, the lightest chain ring, um, that we can offer, or you've probably seen that we had a, um, 
spider-based power meter that a lot of our athletes have been racing for the last few years. The XXSL has that as a power meter option. Um, and then on the chain front, it's using a hollow pinned, hollow plated chain. And then the derailleur is just the lightest transmission derailleur that we could make. So we've got the most aggressive machining on the aluminum portions of the derailleur. Um, that includes like, you know, quite a bit of machining on the mounting bolt as well as on the, the body itself. And then on the cage, we are using the outer plate of the cage is carbon fiber. Um, and then on the cassette, it is um, the the upper three cogs on the cassette are aluminum. Um, and just to, again, save weight. So we're just kind of trying to get the lightest group possible there. And then when you move over to the XX group, which is a group that we do, we will be seeing on like XC race bikes all the way up to enduro bikes. Um, it really like runs the gamut in terms of it is a mountain bike group that you can customize to, to work across any sort of use case. Um, so the front chain ring has the ability to be like a lightweight um, cross country performance oriented front chain ring. However, it is also built so that you can mount um, bash rings to it. Um, and these bash, it's a two part bash ring. So there's a bash ring, um, they're, they're removable, um, and you can run just one of them or you can run both of them. Um, the idea being, if you're like a strictly right foot forward person, you can run the bash ring on the downside there and save a bit, a little bit of weight or have a cool aesthetic by not running the bash ring on the other side of the chain ring. Um, I personally find that I just run both bash rings because like to smash both sides of my cranks but um you know you can run only one if you want to um and then the um carbon crank arms on that are just our like strongest um long cord carbon crank arms um and then the chain's a hollow pin but solid plated chain and then the derailleur on xx um it has a little bit less machining than the um, XXSL derailleur, just a little bit more beefed up. Um, the It has the skid plates that I was mentioning before, um, and they're just a little bit more beefed up skid plates so they can take a little bit more abuse. Um, and then the cage is um, fully aluminum rather than the mix of carbon fiber and aluminum on the XXSL. And then on the cassette side of things, um, only the 52 tooth cog the biggest so the biggest cog is aluminum on that set um then when we go to xl um this is where the crank arms are really cool um so i think hopefully people if they don't you, you can look it up we had some articles a couple of years ago about um where we did a collaboration with autodesk on a generative design for a crank arm and when you look that up, the crank arm that you will see is completely insane looking. It's 3D printed titanium and it's got a bunch of flowing organic shapes. It's really cool. It's not practical for production. However, it was a sweet project. We took a lot of the learning from that and rolled it into a production product. Um, and that really is what these XO cranks are. So they're incredibly strong. They are very, very light. Uh, aluminum crank arms and they also have a very distinct aesthetic and that distinct aesthetic comes from 
you know, the generative design system, which looked at exactly where we needed to put material and where we didn't need to put material to, to create a super strong crank arm. Um, those cranks also have the ability to run two bash rings. It's different from the XX bash rings in that they're polycarbonate rather than the aluminum ones on the XX. Um, a very similar idea that you can, you know, run one of them or run both of them. Um, then the chain is, uh, solid pin solid plated chain um the derailleur again uh a bit less machining save some saving some costs obviously adds a little bit of weight um slightly different cage setup it's still an aluminum cage but it's just there's less machining there's a little more material in there um and then we have different materials and different coatings on the cassette which does enable us to save a little bit of cost there and get that that group o in um a little bit lower so yeah that's kind of x xo there yeah pretty good rundown and obviously we're kind of touching on the new stuff here but there are probably people out there who are either thinking well shit i have a bike that doesn't have a udh or you know just looking at lower price stuff obviously this isn't replacing your entire whole drivetrain line also but kind of what sticks around from what's been in the line up to this point yeah, yeah. So that's a great question. You know, we do we do see this as the future, and we do see we do think like the benefits of the durability and repairability that I mentioned before. Um, we haven't touched on shifting performance, um, nor have we set up uh, touched on the simplicity of of setup that that this system offers. Um, however, like we recognize that not everyone has a UDH bike. Um, you know, I think. We're, we were in, a, we're in a very interesting position launching transmission out into the market today. We feel really good and we're like very proud of the current access drive trains and the current mechanical drive trains that we're offering for, um, for bikes. However, we do have been working on this for a really long time and this is, we think, the next generation. Um, and we really think it, it, it changes the way riders can ride and how much fun they can have on their bikes. Um, so we're not going to stop making the other stuff we're making at this time. Um, but you know, all of our future development is going to be based on, on this platform. Yeah. That's kind of what I figured, but good to get that out there. And so, yeah, let's come back around to some of the other stuff going on with the transmission. So probably talking about the, shifting and kind of stuff that's going on with the cassette we touched on materials a little bit already but there's a lot more going on there so take us through it yeah so you know setup is an interesting one you know right now you know there's so many things that lead to riders having a challenged experience on on the ride you know we already we took you know, I, I slightly touched on a little bit of an anecdote of, of hitting my derailleur on something really hard and like potentially, you know, had I been on a previous system, I, I probably would have been calling my wife to come and pick me up because I was quite a ways away from home at that time. But I didn't because the system saved me in that moment. And that's like where the robustness comes in. Um, but, you know, an, another aspect is is the setup side of things. and we have a very um 
globally oriented customer service and warranty um, department. And we get feedback from our riders through that system. And we know that a significant portion of the the reason people's rides get ruined is from setup. If that's poor cable, uh, poor cables, poor limit screw adjustment, poor B tension adjustment, um, all those little tiny things that result in a poor ride experience on on the bike. Um, and so what we really wanted to do was set out to allow riders to have such a simple setup when it comes to getting your drivetrain working properly on your bike that it, it just would not impact um, ride experiences. And so what that means for us is getting rid of the limit screws, getting rid of all of the different things that you have to have on on current derailleur um, to, to manage the tolerance stacking that we were talking about earlier. So with this system, there's no tribal knowledge in how you set it up. It, there, you don't have to know any special secrets. You just have to follow some really simple steps. And if you follow those steps, you're good to go. Um, the way we like to talk about it is prepare, hang, tighten. So in the preparation stage, that's like cutting your chain, that's pairing the system, things like that. So you, you prepare all your components and then you hang the components on the bike. So the derailleur is mounted onto the bike. You do not tighten it all the way. You, you, you tighten it to snug and then you loosen the bolt one full revolution. You put the wheel in, you tighten it, you loosen it one full revolution chain is, is installed at that point. Um, and then you set your derailleur in the setup key mode, which is, um, similar to the cage lock that, you know, from our current derailleurs, but, but a little bit different, it's called out, um, very clearly with some markings on the derailleur. So you set the derailleur in that setup mode and then you tension the derailleur so that the chain is taunt. And then you tighten the derailleur bolt to 35 Newton meters. And then you tighten your rear axle on your bike per your manufacturer's um, specifications for torque. And then you knock your derailleur out of the cage setup mode. You, you simply push the cage forward and you're done. That's it. Um, so it's, it's those three steps, prepare, hang, tighten. And once you've gotten that derailleur tightened up, in the proper order, you're done and your bike will ship flawlessly. Yeah. So that bit's probably blowing a few people's minds about who, you know, used to setting up derailleurs normally. And kind of like I said, there are no limit screws. There's no B tension screw kind of pulling the derailleur back such that the chain goes taut, performs the function of the B tension screw in effect, but without the kind of needing to think too hard about how to set it up and because the derailleur is tied so tightly into the wheel where you've got the hub end cap butting right up against the inside face of the derailleur you've taken out that tolerance stack up then so you don't need limit screws anymore it's kind of subtle stuff but it 
is really genuinely a lot easier to set up than a normal derailleur is and just fewer steps and kind of not really any steps that require any particular precision or thinking about what you're doing all that hard. It's just kind of more rote and follow the checklist without having to really know what you're doing very well. It's pretty cool. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think you've seen us trying to get at this space. You know, we we have, if you're familiar with setting up like our current derailers, we have that plastic guide that allows you to like set your B tension without a whole lot of like, you know, there's not a whole lot of questions. Like you, you clip it onto your derailleur and then the little arrow points to exactly where your upper pulley should be. But, you know, you still have to uh know how that tool fixes to the cassette which you know it, it it still requires like quite a bit more knowledge to know how to even use that tool and i think you know one thing one other thing that we didn't really touch on but like it's a good one to bring up at this point is like chain length right now like you know chain length is you know you technically the way you would set up chain length is you would take all the air out of your shock you'd set your derailleur to the biggest cog you would add you'd bottom your bike out see what the chain length is add two links to that like that's the proper way to do chain length. i don't don't think most people actually do that because there's quite a few steps to get to that and um i am guilty of you know either guessing or already knowing what chain length goes which with which bikes and and what size front chain ring but you know it's i think it's a really hard thing for most riders to know and understand how to get to a proper chain length um another thing that we're doing with transmission is we're you know you can still bottom your bike out and add two quick links or sorry two two chain links that's like still an appropriate way to pick your chain length um however we're also giving you two additional paths so inside of the access app you will be able to click through on your the bike that you have um and you know you can pick the manufacturer you can pick the model and then you tell the app what size front chain ring you want and it will give you the chain length that you have for that bike um the other way that you can get to chain length is we have a table that says what's the chain stay length of your bike what front chain ring are you trying to use and then it tells you what your chain length is going to be um and you know it's just another thing that we've been able to incorporate into transmission that makes it that much simpler to set up your bike and get to the proper um proper setup again kind of a subtle thing that just makes every little bit of it a little easier and this is basically all of these things are spitting out a just number of links and then you can count backwards from what is it 126 for a full length chain to you know if you need 120 or whatever it is you know subtract six and go yep yeah yeah so our uh, our aftermarket chains are 126 links long and you just count back to however many um you know however long your chain it needs to be you know for example um I have a stump jumper Evo um, with a 30 and a 32 tooth front ring. That bike uses a 118 length chain. Um, I now have a 34 tooth chain ring on that bike. And when I went to a 34 tooth chain ring, I had to go up to a 120 link chain. Um, so you do have, 
inside of it, it's it's a little bit dependent upon you know like what size front chain ring you have but like you know you'll be able to usually get two different size front chain rings out of one chain length and then sometimes you know like i said you know when i went from a 32 to a 34 i had to go up a chain length um but had i gone down to a 30 i could have used the same chain well where to next from here still got some more to cover <laughs> by a long shot so yeah uh, what do you think well so uh i mean the next thing the next you know big important step forward for us in what we're doing with transmission after robustness and after the ease of setup um for us is shifting under load and you know this comes from a multiple different angles i think um you know there there's obviously e-bikes which are shifting under load all the time so that's like definitely one consideration um you know we a lot of the engineers who worked on this system are in europe and in germany specifically so they're living and breathing e-bikes every day and they 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 know what those shifts under load are like and they want to make sure that they're they're clean and quiet um and then um even for regular riders and and for cross-country racers like being the ability to shift under load or the ability to shift in more places than you than you would be able to with a traditional drivetrain is hugely beneficial um and then you know another thing to consider is like there's a lot of new entrants in the mountain bike scene and you know it's second nature to you and i to like let off the pedals a little bit when we make a shift because we've been taught and we've had all the bad experiences of like shifting under full load but a lot of new riders haven't experienced that before so um that's a skill that they have to learn but with transmission you don't have to learn that because it doesn't matter and in fact the shift system actually because it was designed to shift under load it shifts better when you stay on the pedals and you continue to push hard than it does when you you know shift how you would with a traditional system and, and let off the let off the pedals a little bit yeah i've like you said kind of been having to try to retrain myself a little bit on that because i'm just so used to letting off and yeah doing the reprogramming of the brain to like no just stay on it keep going is uh taking a little learning but it does work quite well under load and uh i'm slowly but surely getting myself to actually just trust it and do that yeah i mean i'm still i, I you know i had a shift like this sounds really funny to say out loud but like like two weeks ago i was like in a creek bed climbing out of a creek bed um and it was in you know it was a terrible rocky creek bed and i needed to shift in the middle of this like rock slab on the way out of the creek bed and i remember the like tape rolling in my brain of like you shouldn't shift here and then my thumb shifting anyway and you know i've i've been riding this system pretty extensively for a while and i still uh sort of like held myself back but like almost held myself back in that moment but i i did the shift and got to the top of the rock and was like i cannot believe that i just had a dead silent shift climbing up that rock with like all every ounce of strength that i had getting poured into my crank arm to get the bike moving forward and, and it worked and it was great 
So take us through what you've done to actually make all that happen. Yeah, totally. So, you know, I think, I think one thing that I'd like really stress as we, as we talk about, um, cassette mapping and all, all the little details that are like hundred percent shifting focused, you know, one thing to not forget in all this is like, it's not just, it's not any one thing with this. Um, the fact that there is no tolerance or very little tolerance stacking in between the cassette and the derailleur, because the cassette and the derailleur are directly butted up against each other. That is a factor in our ability to make these shifts happen the way that they happen. Um, the fact that the derailleur is full mounted um, to the frame instead of haphazardly bolted to a somewhat flexible derailleur hanger that's kind of bolted to a frame also is is what what allows us to do this. Um, so that, so that so it's not just the it's not any one thing. It's a lot of different things. But specifically when it comes to like the chain moving across the cassette, um, what we've done is we've added X-Sync technology to the cassette. Um, and what that means is the, the cassette features wider and narrower teeth so that we always have our inner and outer plates on the chain exactly um, where we want them to be when the shift is occurring. And we've built into the, uh, we built into the system, what we're calling cassette mapping, which is firmware, firmware on the derailleur and the hardware to cassette, um, working together to control that shift, um, across the entire cassette and at any load. Um, and so when the shift is made, the derailleur's firmware, firmware is able to reference uniquely timed shift sequences that are specific to each cog on the cassette um, about where the release and receiving cogs on that cassette cog are and engage the roller at the specific time and place. And what that allows the chain to do is continually be continually engaged between each cog as it moves up or down the cassette. And that means that the chain isn't jumping from one cog to the next, it's moving smoothly from one cog to the next. I think the important thing to keep in mind with that is it's, it is really the software and the derailleur understanding each cog and how that cog you know, how many opportunities it has to shift up or down, how fast that cog is going to be moving on average, and then moving the chain over at the right moment so that it can shift cleanly up or down. Um, and it is pretty cool and pretty revolutionary in, uh, in how it works. Right. All of which is to say the derailleur knows that you're going, for example, from, I don't know, let's say third gear to fourth and knows you know because you're doing that there are however many sets of shift ramps between those two specific gears and it makes kind of an educated guess about how fast the chain would be moving sort of in terms of your pedal stroke at that time and times and controls how it moves the derailleur accordingly is that a fair summary 
Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Like, it, you know, the, the derailleur is aware of what cog it is in on the cassette. And it is aware of what speed the cassette is going to be moving. It's not measuring that with the sensor, but because we know, like, how gears work, we, we know, like, how fast that cog is going to be spinning on average, call it. Um, and based on those two pieces of information, it's able to move itself over appropriately to catch those um, shift ramps. So kind of a different way of handling all that. And tell us a little bit more about what you were saying earlier about the chain being continually engaged with the cassette. I think that might have kind of slipped by some people. Yeah, so that just has to do with how the ramps um, and the chain rollers engage with each other. So basically, what we're able to do because the chain is only moving over exactly when we want it to, we're able to build ramps up and down on the cassette so that the outer plates of the cassette or sorry, the outer plates of the chain, rather, chain rollers, are able to engage perfectly with the cassette as it's climbing up or descending down um, on a cog. So, yeah, kind of, again, sort of like just a redesign of the whole system to work together. Fair to assume that all of this stuff means that there's not much interchangeability between the new transmission parts and older drivetrain bits? Yeah, so, I mean, you know, I think I think we are always striving for maximum interchangeability, and that's why, you know, you've seen sort of the ecosystem approach from us on previous generations where, like, you know, you can mix and match all the way across our lines, and if you have something that's Eagle, you can just, you know, use it across the, the whole thing. Um, which allows you to like upgrade your and that system it allowed you to like upgrade your derailleur, upgrade your cassette, whatever you kind of wanted to do. Um, but yeah, with this system, because of the interde- interdependent nature of the system, um, the fact that the derailleur and the cassette are literally bolted to each other, um, there is interoperability inside of transmission so all the different transmission parts can work interoperably with each other you know again i you know i mentioned this at one point but like even the cages on the derailleurs like you could you can take an xo cage and you can put it on the xxsl derailleur if you want to or, or vice versa um but yeah this doesn't operate with any previous system you know like i'll give you some examples of like why that kind of isn't possible or wasn't wasn't doable um the entire transmission system runs off of um 55 millimeter chain line cranks um that is really beneficial to frame designers it gives them more tire clearance allows them to big build bigger chain stays stiffer frames if you want or more tire clearance um, wider bottom bracket, or sorry, wider main pivot shell. There's a lot of advantages to having a, a wider chain line on the bike. Um, however, like, you know, we want to have the best chain line to the cassette as possible. And so we're always trying to make sure that like our cassette relative to the front chain ring is, is in an optimized position so that you can, you know, be in the 10 tooth or the 52 tooth and have a good chain line. Um, 
One of the advantages of getting rid of the derailleur hanger is you have a lot of real estate that was just getting used up by a derailleur hanger that you can now put your cassette into that space. And because there's no tolerance stacking between your cassette and your derailleur, you can move those two things to become very, very close to each other without, you don't have to worry about some kind of interference. So on this system, again, 55 millimeter chain line cranks, but we've actually moved the teeth on the cassette outboard 1.8 millimeters. So the, the cassette side of it is actually bumped outboard quite a bit and sort of exists in the space where the derailleur hanger would have existed previously, but we don't have one anymore. So we were able to do that. So there's a lot of little, like that's a, that's a like easy one to kind of point to and be like, yeah, interoperable, you know, things moving around is helpful, but at the same time, like we were able to get a lot of performance out of moving the cassette out. That performance is going to help everyone in the long run. So, so yeah. And it is probably worth pointing out that the cassette does still mount to a normal XD driver. That part hasn't changed. It's just that the sort of where the teeth end up relative to the mounting face on the hub is different. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it is it is a standard XD driver. You can just mount it on there. Um, and, you know, even an XD, you know, an XDR, XD road derailleur, it's the same, same setup. You'd run that exactly the same as you would with a current, current cassette. So. Yep. I guess maybe we could talk about the revised gearing on the cassette. Yeah, so we did, um, you know, that it's it. It was definitely something that we heard people were not um, super excited about the 52-42 jump. So we do have now 46-tooth to 52-tooth jump. So we've narrowed that, um, which makes both of those gears considerably more usable. And uh, it's going to make a lot of a lot of people happy there. Um, you know, I think we already we touched a little bit on the bashing side of things. I do think. I do think the bashings on the cranks is also like really nice and helpful. Um, you know, I, I have a little bit of nostalgia for the old like log pyramids on trails. We don't have those as much anymore because chainsaws are becoming really ubiquitous. So everyone just kind of throws them out. But there's a few trails here and there that have those. And then, you know, especially for our our friends in like the south of France or um you know, a few places in California and then the entirety of New Mexico, Arizona, um, Utah, and some parts of Colorado where it's quite rocky. And it is really nice to have some chain ring protection. Um, and I think while ICG tab mounted tacos are a solution, um, having a solution that's actually attached to your chain ring is pretty sweet because it does give you the ability to like nudge yourself forward a little bit and then it's also, you know, all annoying to smash a uh, damage a bash ring on your chain ring. It's it's not um, potentially damaging your frame with those ISCG tabs. So, um, yeah, I'm pretty stoked to have the the bash rings on the cranks. I think that's a really neat feature. Yeah, it's a nice touch. And the little bit about log pyramids has me thinking. Now you need to get the. Uh, like super classic sawtooth profile version of the bash guards for a yeah. little extra traction to really complete the full throwback thing. But that'll be the next iteration. You know, and then and then another another bit um that I think like 
you know, as another example, like where we were listening and we're like constantly experimenting is we, we have changed the controllers on these um, compared to the current access controller. Um, you know, I think we are really happy with the current access controller. Um, it had a lot of versatility. Um, you know, we had two different shapes to the, the button paddle on it. Um, but I do think a lot of riders were looking for more adjustment and, and just like a little bit, little, little bit more traditional interface. Um, and so with this new pod controller, um, we've made things a lot easier for a lot of people, um, in terms of the supply chain side of things, cause it's actually one controller that can go on either side of the handlebar. Um, and then in terms of like the fit and form of it, we've made it quite a bit smaller and we've changed the way that it mounts and we have two different mounting options so that, um, you just have infinite's too strong a word, but you have a lot of different opportunity to mount this thing in a, a lot of different places. And then, you know, we do have two trim levels of it. So there's an ultimate version of the controller and then there's a, there's a more basic version on the ultimate level. You also have the ability to change out the button. So you can, it, it comes with a convex or rather a concave uh, button installed. And then if you want, there's a convex button that you can put in as an option. Um, some people, keep the convex button on others put the concave on you know i personally have the um convex button on the bottom and the concave button on the top just so that like i have a very tactile difference between the top and the bottom button um the other thing that's really neat about these controllers is that because you can run one on each side um, you know, if you want to run like ETAP style shifting where it's easier gear on the left, harder gear on the right, you can do that through the app. Um, and if you have a dropper post, you could, you know, have both top buttons be dropper posts or you could have one top button be dropper post. There's just a lot of options in terms of like being able to use your left and your right hand to control your bike. Um, and then, you know, as far as the mounting is concerned, we have two mount options for it. One of them we're calling the bridge. So there's a left bridge and a right bridge that mounts off the exact same MMX clamp that we have and have had forever. Um, and then we also have a discrete universal clamp, which can, it's one unit. It can go on either side of the handlebar um, and has a ton of adjustability in terms of where, where you can put the shifter. And I think you actually tried both of them and then settled on one of them, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I've played around with both a little bit. I've got the integrated MMX one set up right now, but have played around a bit. Yeah, it is. Uh, I, it, it's another one of those design things that like kind of makes me smile. So, you know, the handlebar diameter and the diameter of the pod are actually the same. So like the clamp diameter of your handlebar and the clamp diameter of the pod itself are actually the same. And that's what allows us to have the um, universal clamp be able to be the same thing that goes on either side of the handlebar, which is pretty sweet pretty another like real smart touch yeah nice little detail you just you just flip it around and change which end of the clamp the pod goes in and which end goes around the handlebar but since they're the same diameter you can flip it around and do a bunch of different stuff with it so and you've got because you have this round interface on the pod going into the clamp you can 
change both the position of the pod and how the pod is rotated within the clamp to change the orientation and stuff. So it's a good bit more adjustable than the older ones. And yeah, a lot of different ways to move them around. Yeah. Really difficult to explain verbally, but great when you're setting it up on your bike. Yeah. Bunch of photos in the full write up in the show notes. So if none of that's making sense. You can uh, go pull those up and it'll like Chris said, that'll help. So that's a whole bunch, but, uh, just in case that's not enough, you're also making some brake updates. Is there anything we should touch on with transmission before we move on to the brakes? No, I mean, I think we've, I think we've covered uh, transmission pretty well. I, you know, like the the last thing I would kind of leave you with is, or leave everyone with is like, you know, this is as a, as a reformed single speeder, kind of call myself that, um, you know, I think this is a pretty, as a longtime mountain biker and reform single speed, this is like a pretty cool moment for for me to see our company really push so hard to make a system that is really, really robust, provides the kind of shift performance that people want to see and is dead simple to set up. And then you know, we we didn't have to make it repairable on top of all of that, but the engineers who developed this system are riders themselves, and they they knew that that was a huge value to the end user, and so because they saw it as a value to themselves, and so they put that into the system. And um, I don't know, it it, it feel it's really cool to be a part of this, part of bringing this product out to the market just because of everything that's been brought together in this moment um yeah it's it's sweet so yeah thanks for the opportunity to talk about it good deal we're getting a little long here but let's do a quick rundown on the brakes just to uh kind of hit completeness here little else to talk about than on the transmission but there's still some cool stuff happening so tell us what's going on there yeah totally i mean I, you know i think on the brakes we're like we're 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 stoked. You know, we, we feel really good about where code is today in terms of like the power and weight and, and durable performance that we're providing there. Um, so not a whole lot of changes in terms of like power to performance, um, there, but, um, we do, you know, we do understand that like, because we've pulled so many cables off the bike that people want to have like a cleaner aesthetic. And it is, it is a pretty magical thing to ride your bike and not see any cables. Um, but we obviously want to like keep the, the overall load on the mechanic as low as possible. So we're going to not try to put brake lines inside of, um, you know, any, any part that doesn't necessarily have to go inside of. So, so yeah, we, what we've done is we've tucked the master cylinders up against the handlebar and allowed the cable routing to come really close to the handlebar so that you can run your lines shorter. So you have less rattling cables, less like cables hanging out in front, visually disrupting the rider's experience, um, which is pretty sweet. So we have, that's what we're calling stealth levers. Um, you know, I'm speaking to it on code, but we do have level versions of those stealth levers as well. Um, as far as the small parts are concerned, like it's, it's, generally all the same small parts so all the bleed fillings are the same all the brake pads are the same across those across code it's all it's all 
you know, all the same small parts, um, all the same bleed procedures. Um, we are tweaking code a little bit, so we will have a code ultimate now, um, which is a carbon lever and titanium hardware. And then we're changing the name of the next step down of code. So what would have previously been an RSC, we'll now calling a code silver. Um, it's conveniently very black, um, just to, to help everyone get there. But um, so yeah, so we'll have code ultimate stealth, and then we'll have code silver stealth. Um, they're sweet looking, and you know it's the code you know and love from today. And then we'll also have we're adding a new break to line, which is level four P. So it's the stealth level levers. You know, like they look pretty similar to the codes, but they're stealth. Um, and then um, it uses a four piston caliper, pretty similar to what we had before with G2, just lighter um, than our previous version of level. And then we'll also have a two piston version of that level break, um, which is the same same lever, just with a two piston caliper. And that has the same uh, model levels in that, you know, there'll be an ultimate level of it and then a silver level of it. Yeah, sweet. so not the like kind of comparatively modest performance changes, but just cleaning things up a little bit and a light refresh rather than a massive overhaul maybe, but some new stuff there too. So I think that's probably a good place to wrap it up then. Chris, thanks for the time for the rundown and uh, appreciate talking to you as always. It's been a blast. Yeah. Thank you very much. And uh, thank you for putting time on the product. We really appreciate it. All right. That's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. And as always, we would very much appreciate you leaving us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts to help keep the show going and growing. I also want to say thanks to Chris for the conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing the episode. And thanks to you for listening. From all of us at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we'll talk to you again next week. Bye, everybody.